0: Good morning. Today's scripture is from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of, of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It was the early hours of the morning, and the date was April the 15th, and the year was 1912, when a luxury steam liner known as the RMS Titanic submerged completely in the North Atlantic Ocean. I'm sure you've heard, uh, uh, heard the story, but if you're, in case you're unfamiliar, the, uh, when the Titanic was built and assembled, it was the largest man-made movable object funded by some of, of the best and the brightest at the time. But in the early hours of the morning, on April the 15th, 1912, when all the available lifeboats had been used, which, even when they set sail, only had enough room for about one-third of the ship's crew and passengers, in those wee hours of the morning, as the ship sunk officially under the water. It would have been a gross understatement to suggest that somewhere along the way a mistake had been made. If your only interaction with the tale of the Titanic came in the form of the 1997 Hollywood movie, I'd encourage you to do some of your own research, because there's more to that story than meets the eye, much like the Iceberg that they hit at about 11:30 p.m. on April the 14th. The cause and effect journey that led to the sinking of that ship that was deemed unsinkable includes a whole number of errors, mistakes by builders, mistakes by the crew, mistakes by the captain. But one of the worst mistakes, and probably the one that was easiest to avoid, and it was the last mistake that was made, was that on the evening before they sunk, the Titanic heard from other ships multiple times that the waters that they were voyaging in had ice. And there are a number of reasons as to why they ignored those warnings. Some of the warnings came from smaller watercrafts. They couldn't handle the ice like we could. Some of the other reports seemed unreliable, and some of the reports came from ships that seemed much further away. That's not the same waters that we're in. But the real reason that those warnings were ignored was because when they received those warnings on the Titanic, they looked out at the water. They looked out at what was right in front of them. And they saw clear skies. And they saw calm waters. And at about 11.30 p.m., they would see a small peak. And they would try to avert course but you and I know that it was too late at that point. I think one of the biggest blind spots for people is not that we are too ignorant to the things that we can't see. We're ignorant to the dangers and the concerns that are out there in our lives. We, we know the risks. No, our, our biggest blind spot as people is our inability to judge correctly everything that we can see. If only the crew on the Titanic would have heeded heeded those warnings from the other ships, maybe they would have had a different fate. If only they knew the iceberg was there, certainly they would have adjusted course. But there's a level of pride that was present on that ship, and it's present in all people, where we look at our lives and we truly believe that we know what's best for us. The cautionary tale of the Titanic has been so enticing to so many people because the pain that can come from pride and our own mistakes is just a little bit too relatable. If only we knew what was coming in our life. If only someone would warn us of what was coming. Maybe we would be more prepared. Or would we? So far this month, we've been working through 1 Peter chapter 4 to try to get a better sense of what we should expect if we're Christians, if, 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 if we love Jesus. And Peter gives us an insight into the type of trouble and persecution that Christians were going to experience in the early church. But he also gives them an expectation of the types of blessings and the types of promises that are coming in their future and they should already be experiencing today. Last week, Nick shared some of the blessings and the responsibilities that come from existing in Christian community. And I cannot stress this enough. No matter what the general perception is in our world today, Christians were not meant to follow God in isolation. I just heard this last week, but that in the South where I'm from, in in the Bible Belt, there are more Christians who do not, not go to church then there are Christians who do out of church. I'm sure that in this, uh, it, it isn't only happening in the South, or sure that trend is happening all over the country. But what's happening to this group of Christians who are unchurched is that they're feeling or depressed, and they're feeling or alone, and they are feeling very victimized. But what's interesting is that their beliefs in God are staying intact. They still believe in God. They they still believe the Bible, but they aren't part of a church and they aren't existing in a Christian community. The problem for these people isn't that they're walking away from uh, isn't that they're walking away from the Bible and walking away from God altogether. The problem is that this group of unchurched Christians is becoming twisted in how they understand what the gospel is saying. Because when you choose to be in isolation, you forget what Jesus did for the world, and you only think about what Jesus did for you. Christians need the church. We need community. We need encouragement. We need engagement. We need fellowship. But most importantly, we need to see God at work in other people's lives, not just our own. Because when it feels like he isn't working in your life, where will you turn? For truth and for wisdom. You better hope that the people who are sitting in the ashes with you are going to give you some solid advice instead of maybe trying to tell you that the situation that you found yourself in is somehow your fault. Like the friends of Job. But this morning I want to shift from the inward what we can expect from Christian community and I, w- I want to think outward what we what we can expect is uh, is is going to happen in in this world. If we know what's coming if if we know what's going to happen in our lives then we have no excuse but to be prepared. I said this a couple weeks ago and I like to say it again that nothing that we're in nor nothing that's coming, whether it's close or it seems like it's are off should be a surprise to Christians because we're in the know, we're, in the, we're in, the, in the loop, we have an inside scoop as to what's coming as to the state of this world, but also on the state of our hearts. And the question is, with that knowledge of what's coming, with that knowledge of what we should expect, what are we doing with it? Are we doing anything with it or are we comfortable to sit on it? and plow right into what is in front of us. What so many people have warned us is out there. If you want to join me in First Peter chapter 4, Peter continues on, after giving this instruction for Christian community, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The fiery trial is coming. Do not be surprised, Peter says. This is one of the core ideas of our study this month, but really the entire book of 1 Peter is that suffering is coming. And for some of the people that Peter is writing to, suffering is already here. They're already being persecuted. They're already being aligned. They're already being ostracized because of their faith in Jesus. In Peter's introduction all the way back in chapter 1, he, uh, he talks about these trials that these Christians are going to experience, and he compares them to a refining fire. He says that these trials, in these trials their faith will become more precious than gold. I've shared this before, but one of my favorite hymns is the song, Refiners' Fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy, ready ready to do, or will, the song says. I think one of the reasons I love that song and this theme in Peter is because if you've lived really any amount of time at all, life can sometimes feel like we're just jumping from one fire to the next. And in these challenging seasons, in these trials, we need, to, we need to know that they're not for nothing. There is a purpose. There is a reason. But that certainly is not the most encouraging thing that you could tell someone when they're in a challenging season in life. Hey man, oh n- 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 sweat. This is just you being refined. I wouldn't recommend that. But what we should do is we should be an example of that truth. If you're someone who has been through the fire a time or two, when someone else finds themselves in a similar place, they might not need assurance that God is working in them. But what they do need is they need to know that they're not in in the fire alone. And even if you or someone that's in your circle finds themselves in an incredibly unique one-in-a-million, you-you-couldn't-you-couldn't-repeat-it-again if you tried type of fiery trial, even in, even when we're in these crazy scenarios in life that it often throws at us, what should we do? What does Peter say that we should do in verse 13? He says, rejoice. Again, I would not recommend... As a word of encouragement, when someone is right in the thick of it, cheer up, rejoice, Jesus was crucified so you don't have to be. But if we really know the truth, when we're in seasons of suffering, when we feel like our world is shrinking around us, when we find ourselves in those one-of-a-kind trials, we'll know that we're not alone. And we'll be able to rejoice, not that it would make our suffering any easier, but at least we would be reminded that this world is not it. And that's encouraging to me, because this, this world, is not all it's cracked up to be, often. And Peter goes on, and he gets m- more specific about what kind of suffering could be coming to these Christians and, and to people like you and me. In and, and verse 14, he says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. More than just life being hard, and more than just trials in our lives, sometimes we can even suffer as a direct result of being a Christian. We'll talk more about that in just a moment, but Peter mentions something pretty interesting here in verses 15 and 16. He says, don't suffer for being a murderer or a thief. In other words, don't suffer for doing bad things, right? What Peter's getting at here. And this is something that we've talked about before, is that everyone is going to suffer. Everyone is going to experience some type of suffering in their life, not just Christians. And not even just people who deserve it. Everyone. So if we're going to suffer, as Peter says, let it be because we were obeying God. And not be because we were being selfish. Suffering comes for everyone because, as the church largely believes, this, this world is broken the way it is. And whether or not people are willing to admit it, we are not the solution. Jesus is the solution. If we're going to have any, any real lasting impact on the people in our lives or on this world at all, on bringing about God's justice and righteousness, it's not because we suddenly figured it out. Because of Jesus because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. So, if suffering is coming for everyone, what kinds of suffering should we expect? I'm I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Um, That's Peter's whole idea, to not be surprised. Don't let your prayers suffer because of what awaits you. Be controlled, be self-controlled, be sober-minded, because there are things that are coming that are going to test you, they're going to make life hard, and you need to be able to turn to God anyways in those seasons of life and say, Lord, you alone are holy to you be the glory. What kinds of suffering should we expect? Sometimes, as a byproduct of our own sins and mistakes, we'll experience suffering. But I doubt I needed to tell you that. This world is broken, but it's broken because the people who live here keep breaking it. We keep sinning. We keep making selfish selfish choices. And often, if not every single time, sin today will bring about suffering tomorrow. But more often than not, sin today will sometimes bring about suffering today. Sure, you might get away with it, but suffering will come. Let's take stealing as an example. One of the sins that Peter mentioned in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, the kid or the adult who steals something small from the grocery store, they haven't fractured the very fabric of God's good creation by, by that one action. What about the next time that they get away with it and the next time and the next time? And what if one time they steal something a bigger like say a car? Are they becoming a person with poor integrity? Are they becoming a person who's gonna cheat on their jobs? Are they are they becoming a person who's gonna be dishonest with their money? Are they are they gonna be fired one day or maybe even worse, hurt someone because they cut corners in the workplace? I know it sounds like a far stretch that someone who would steal a Snickers, which is the best candy bar, someone who would steal a Snickers is one day going to become a white-collar criminal. But there's more to it than that. What if that person ever, ever gets caught stealing? They never get in trouble. They never hurt anybody. they, They never get caught being dishonest they'll still be left empty because they can't trust the people in their lives. And that doesn't have anything to do with the people in their lives. That's just because they're a sinner. And sin brings about suffering. And where sin exists in your and my life, suffering will follow. But I doubt I needed to tell you that. If we're going to suffer, Peter says, don't let it be because you were living in sin. Let it be because you were obeying God. A second type of suffering comes as a byproduct of the world that we live in, of living in a broken world. Outside of our own individual sins, sin has run rampant in our world. And even though there are seemingly trustworthy and reliable organizations, maybe it's even a government in place in this world, those entities will eventually crack. And if we're hitched too tightly to those, if it's a company, if it's a brand, if it's a political party, if if we're hitched too tightly to those organizations, this is what I'm going to build my life on. When those skin cracks start to show, and they will, we'll be the ones who suffer for it. People will suffer even if they don't deserve it. And if you're going to suffer, and we are, just like Peter says, don't let it be because you were so attached to this world. Let it be because you would only give glory to God. I have some great news about suffering, though, about sin. Is that even though I am a person that has sinned, even though I'm a person who has contributed to the hurt of people in this world. Praise be to God, I don't have to stay that way. And praise be to God, the people I've hurt don't have to stay that way. Praise be to God that you and I don't have to bear the weight of our sins for all eternity because those chains would be too great. Now, suffering is coming, one way or another, it might Come in the form of an illness or a natural disaster. It might come in the form of someone close to you breaking your heart and not being the person that you thought they were. And as Peter shares with us, it might even come intentionally at the hands of people who cannot stand that you love Jesus. We'll explore that idea a little bit more in the month of September. But suffering is coming, trials are coming. We know. What awaits us. So, my question for us again is if we know what's coming, how are we preparing? Are we grounding ourselves in the Word? Are we hitching our cart, so to speak, to the throne that will never fail? Are we surrounding ourselves with people who are going to model truth and love in the seasons where we need it? Or do we know what's coming and are we choosing to ignore it? Maybe we think, I know how big the trial is going to be. I'll be able to steer clear. I'll be able to weather it. I'll be able to trudge through on my own. I am strong enough. There's these two verses in James chapter 1 that I think illustrate this well. It won't be on the screen, but it says, For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, and he looks away. And he walks away and he goes and he forgets what he looks like. What a compelling illustration, but I would adapt it just a little bit for us us this morning to this. Anyone who hears the word of the Lord and doesn't do it is like a person who looks out the window and sees the storm coming and doesn't prepare. I'm from Alabama. I grew up on the Gulf Coast and so we had our fair share of Hurricanes and storms, some were much worse than others. And sometimes preparing for a storm might have been something as simple as making sure the windows in your car were rolled up or bringing in the patio furniture. But sometimes preparing for a storm meant opening your home to friends and family who were going to be in the area that was going to get the brunt of it. I have a couple memories of all my extended family, my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, all sleeping on mattresses in a living room floor in a big hurricane with the power out. We knew the storm was coming, and we did something about it. Brothers and sisters this morning, we know what's coming. We might not know exactly when or maybe even how big, but storms are coming for all people until the day that Jesus returns to this world. And when those storms come, when those trials arrive, where are you going to turn? And if you're waiting for that moment until the time comes to adjust, adjust course, well, by then it will have been too late. The correct answer is when the time comes, when the trials come, we won't have to turn anywhere because we will already be exactly where we need to be. Why would you wait until it's too late to turn? Fortunately for us, we know exactly what's coming, and Jesus, the Son of God, has given us everything that we need to have a life in this world, and to have life, even if this world desires that we would have death. If you're not a Christian, if you've n- ever been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, then that's something that you need to do, because the waters in this, in this life They're not good. It might look calm right now, but it's coming. Life is hard, and some of it might be because of your own sin, but more importantly than that, the wages of your sin is death. Our sins have separated us from our Creator. We would love nothing more than to help bring you into the light, where you no longer bear the weight of your mistakes. If you are a Christian, I urge you to hear the word of the Lord and do it. Listen to the words of Jesus and obey. If you have sins in your life that you need to confess or you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters because your feet have grown weary and your heart has become calloused, I urge you to turn to God. Turn to your Christian brothers and sisters for encouragement, for wisdom, for truth, and for peace. We would love to pray with you and pray for you. If you have any aid, whether it's here in person or it's on Facebook Live, you can make that known right now or later this week in a call or a text. Suffering is coming. I don't know how and I don't know when, but when it comes, we better be already praying that our Lord will be in control just like he is today. If you have any need this morning at all, won't you make it known as we stand and as we sing?